you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament? We're going to be looking at Ruth's story today as we continue in our series called Hurt. And we realize that hurts uh, are going to be things that we experience. We're going to encounter issues in life where uh, we are the victim of a bad situation. We're treated poorly, unjustly. This is part of life. We live in a sinful world and it's going to happen. The issue is that we must Uh, Though we may be victims at times, we must escape a victim mentality. And so that's what we're wanting to look at through this series. And we looked at different hurts that we experience in life. And um, uh, this series may seem a little negative in some ways, but it's a reality for us. And so we've got to figure out how to handle those hurts and how to grow through them and uh, allow God to heal us even in them. And so today, looking at Ruth and looking at um, hurts that come from loss. Um, and we are going to experience loss in this life. And so if you're uh, in Ruth chapter 1, we'll have it up on the screen. Follow along as I read the beginning of this story. First five verses. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving for us the stories of those that walked with you and how you interacted with them as they went through their life. Thank you for uh, the truth we find here that gives us purpose and meaning and gives us wisdom to discover how to handle the issues in our lives. I pray that you'd speak to us through your word today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, our character, Naomi, though the book is called Ruth, um, Naomi is a central figure in the book. And she has experienced a tremendous amount of loss in about a 10-year period. All of her family has died. Her husband and her two sons. And so we can, we can only imagine the devastation that she's experienced, the loss that she's experienced, the grief that she's in the middle of. Women develop a special bond with their sons. And so for her, um, knowing that uh, both her husband and, and, yet, and even her sons had passed, is got her in a deep, dark depression. You know, we experience loss in a couple of ways, this type of loss the loss of separation, and the first one is death, and that's what Naomi's experienced. Um, I heard years ago that uh, we're not supposed to experience the separation that comes from death, that God didn't create us to experience that loss and that separation. And so um, it's something that we're unfamiliar with, uh, and we're not quite sure how to deal with, and yet it is something that we'll all experience. Another way in which we experience loss that can feel the same way, that can bring up some of the same emotion and the same issues, is loss through rebellion. 
So when we have one clo- uh, someone close to us rebel and walk away from the faith or walk away from the family, those kind of things, we can experience that same loss. In the story of the prodigal son found in Luke, you'll, you'll remember that the father, when the youngest son came back, right? He came back. He said to the oldest son, man, we've got to celebrate. It, we've, I've received my son back from the dead, right? It's as though he had died. And so that can give us those, uh, that experience, those emotions, those, uh, that same process of loss. And then the third way I think we can experience this type of loss is through conflict, where um, relationships that we've had for a lifetime, even relationships in our families, when they get broken and severed, we experience that same type of loss. And so this loss is something we're going to encounter. You probably have experienced it, and you probably will again. And so though we experience loss in this life, it can result in those hurts that collect in our souls and our spirits. How can we deal with this type of hurt so that it does not destroy us? So that it doesn't damage us so much that we can't maintain a healthy posture in life. One of the things we see in scripture that we can and should do as we experience hurt is we can speak the truth through the pain. Speak the truth through the pain. I think this is really important and profound. There's two types of truth that we speak as we go through the pain. And the first one is the truth about the pain. Speak the truth about the pain. Ruth chapter one, again, continuing our story on Ruth in verses 20 and 21, uh, we see Naomi do this. Naomi is headed back to uh, uh, Bethlehem, back to the land that she came from, following the death of her husband and her two sons. She has her two daughters-in-law with her and they start off the journey, headed back. But as she returns to Bethlehem, as she returns to Israel, she encounters those that she grew up with, the people that knew her before she had moved away. And they call out to her, hey, Naomi, it's great to see you, right? This kind of welcome. And she responds this way. Don't call me Naomi, she responds. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has called me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Listen, uh, Naomi's very honest about what she's experiencing. She's honest about the pain. She speaks the truth about it. And she acknowledges that she's in a deep, dark spot and that her life has become bitter. She said, change my name. Change my name to bitter because that's what I'm living in. I left here full of life and family and now I return empty with nothing. And so she, uh, she's honest about it. She speaks the truth about it. You know, I'll be honest, in my life, this has probably been a struggle for me to speak the truth about the pain that I've experienced. For much of my life, I just tried to blow past it, blow through it, keep my head up, keep a positive attitude, not think that much about it, and just uh, kind of pretend it didn't happen. And that's not really a healthy way to go through pain because it's, it, it, in a sense, is a bit of denial, right? And denial doesn't lead us to healing. Denial just pushes it down the road, kicks the can down the, down the path. And so speaking the truth can bring honesty. It can bring a sense of reality to what we're experiencing. And I think we see Naomi do this. We also see it in the book of Psalms. Uh, in many of the Psalms, you're going to see this kind of uh, emotional encounter, right? And kind of expression of what a person is feeling. In Psalm 13, I think it's a great example. It says this, uh, the writer says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? 
Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Defeat, or don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. I think you see in this psalm an expression, an honest expression of the turmoil that this individual's in, going through pain and, and struggle and wondering. Maybe you've wondered before, God, uh, have you forgotten about me? I'm over here. <laughs> I'm hurting. I'm struggling. Did, did you remember me? When are you going to turn and look at me? I need your help. And we feel that, and it's real, and the psalmist expresses it. And it's okay. It's in Scripture, right? It's okay. In fact, it's right, and it's healthy, and it's good. But he ends the psalm by turning to the next truth that we need to speak, and that is the truth about God, right? We speak the truth about our pain and our struggle, but we also speak the truth about God. And I think in Job chapter one, we see a great example of a man who experienced a great deal of loss and pain. One of the most famous stories of loss and pain in the world, and that is Job, a man who was upright and God-fearing, and God allowed him to be tested in a way that, that incurred loss. And Job, after hearing of his children's passing, hearing of the loss of much of his possessions, it says this in Job chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, 22, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Job handles his pain and the recognition of loss in a profound way, in an honest way, and in an integrate way. See, he acknowledges that what he's had has been taken from him, and the pain in that shaves his head, right? He, he, he goes through visible grief. It isn't as though it doesn't matter. You know, uh, Christianity is not like Buddhism and Hinduism. You know, Buddhism and Hinduism say, don't have any attachments. Don't get to attach to anything in this life, and then you'll be happy all the time, and you'll have peace, right? Well, that's not what Scripture teaches. That's not why God made us. Jesus says, love deeper. <laughs> Grow more connected and attached to the people around you. Love them in the way God loves them. And we know God is love. And so we're to get attached and we're to feel and we will feel pain at the loss. But in the pain, we can speak the truth about God. Job continues to worship, right? He acknowledges that everything he has came from God. So is who is he to complain if God takes it away? He must worship. He worshiped when things were great. He must continue to worship when things are, are difficult, William Sangster, an old uh, preacher years ago, went to visit a young girl in the hospital, and she was going blind, losing her vision. And she said to the preacher, she said, um, I'm, I'm fearful that God is going to take my sight. And he said to her, I want you to think about it a different way. Instead of thinking about God taking your sight, how about if you offer it to him? How about if you pray a prayer like this? God, if you need to take my sight for some reason, I don't understand if you need to take it, you gave it to me so I would give it to you willingly. That's kind of a profound way to think about the things that we have, the things that God allows us to enjoy and experience in this life. 
It's true that it all came from him. I don't know about you, but I can get an entitled attitude. I can start to get disappointed when things get taken away. So I'm like, wait a minute, that's mine, right? And, and not to make light of it because some of the things are deep, deep. But those attachments that we have are from God, but we can hold lightly with an open hand the things that God allows us to have, the people God allows into our lives, trusting him ultimately with the decision he is good. You know, evil doesn't come from God. God is not the source of evil. Evil has come into the world because of our sin, because of rebellion, right? And so to acknowledge that pain and suffering can be allowed by God, but it is always for a purpose that is to accomplish his will. So speaking the truth to ourselves can help us navigate the loss that we experience in this life. But that's not enough. There's something more that we need to engage in. And it requires some humility. It it requires some transparency. See, God created us for community. God created you for fellowship with other people like you, other people that know God like you do. This fellowship is supposed to be a support and encouragement to us. And so what we must do is we must come to life come to uh, and come through our experiences of pain, we've got to be willing to give and get support in order to navigate it. We see in Ruth, we see an example of this in the book of Ruth in chapter one, again, in verses 16 through 18. Again, Naomi has lost her family, right? She has two daughters-in-law left. She heads back to uh, Israel, back to uh, Bethlehem, where she's from. And as she's on her way, these two daughters-in-law are traveling with her. And uh, she reaches a point where she stops him and says, listen, girls, there's nothing that I can do for you. You need to turn and go back. Because if you follow me, even if I were able to get married again and have some sons for you, be too long before you could marry them. You're not going to wait. You need to go back to Moab, back to your family, uh, and find husbands, and you can still have a life. And one of the daughters-in-law takes that advice and she returns. But the other one, which is why we have the book says something altogether different. But Ruth replied to Naomi, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Ruth is an exceptional individual. She recognizes an important thing. She sees that she has experienced loss, that Naomi's experienced loss, and she wants to walk with her through the pain to support one another. And Ruth makes a covenant, really, that she will never leave her side before God. She will stay with her. Naomi maybe didn't recognize her need for support as much as Ruth saw into the situation. And though Naomi was trying to be thoughtful of the future of her, these two girls, Ruth saw something more important. And she was willing to make a commitment to sacrifice, if you will, her potential future, 
you know, going to Israel to be amongst the Jewish people, she might not get married again. They weren't supposed to marry people from outside, uh, from the outside people groups. And so she's making this commitment. Hey, I don't know what the future looks like. I may not get married. I may not have a family, but I need to be with you because we need to support each other. As we go through hurts and pain in life, it's so important that we discover this, um, this bit of uh, help that can provide healing to us, that we can uh, help others and we can receive help as we go through the pain. Ruth saw that, her willingness to engage that life and to stay in the situation she was in and not just look for an easy way out, a better path, forget about the past, I can get something better and different and move on. But she stayed in it with Naomi, walking through it. And that's what ultimately helped both of them. Celebrate Recovery is a place, a safe place that we have here at our church that we're, God is creating through some of our leaders and individuals that are here to create a safe place to find, to get and give support. And, uh, and all of us go through difficulty in life, right? And, uh, and sometimes life is like a pressure cooker. And, and the pain and the pressure builds up to the point that if we don't do something in a healthy way, then we're going to have an explosion in us right? And explosions never do good things. <laughs> they always cause damage. And so to relieve some pressure is important, and sharing and listening is an important way to do that. It takes some humility, some transparency. It's hard to do. I don't love doing it, but I know how important it is. If we look at different, uh, different people uh, in our country and different things that we've been through, I mean, I've listened uh, to, the, to the nature of the situation in our country when it comes to mental health, right, and to our, just our, our psychological well-being. And, and we're a stressed-out country. We were stressed out before 2020, but it has left us really hurting. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to be there for each other. We need to open ourselves up to being a part of that process. Ruth was willing to do that. She took a step, right? She stepped into the difficulty to be a part of the healing as you speak the truth in your pain and as you work through your hurts from loss in a healthy way, you're going to find something very profound that God can and will perform a miracle in your life. As you allow God to work in the area of your greatest hurts, what happens is that you allow your loss to shape, to shape you to help others. You allow your loss to shape you to help others. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writing of a struggle that he has to live with, a weakness that he has to live with. He's asked God to take it away. We know it is the thorn in the flesh, that Paul had this thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, right? And it, it created a struggle for him internally, a battle. And it exposed a weakness in his life and he didn't like it. He wanted to go away as we all do. And hurts produce uh, or, or reveal an area of weakness in our lives. They make us weak. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, after asking God to take the, the thorn away, said each time he said, that means God, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. If you can do it on your own, then you don't need God to help you do it. 
And if you don't need God to help you do it, then people aren't going to see God at work in and through your life. But if you need God to do it because you're weak, all of a sudden the power of God comes through your life. And the areas of weakness that you try to hide, the areas of pain that you try to hide and keep hidden and protect from others to see, are actually the arena in which God wants to work powerfully through you to help other people. See, weakness and pain and suffering all cause cracks in us. And yet God can shine through those cracks when we're willing to be vulnerable, when we're willing to be honest. I know so many of us, me included, (laughs) like to walk through life and give the impression everything's okay. Got it all together, no problems. And all that does is provide a little bit of disillusionment for others who don't know God yet. They think that if you're a Christian, well, you don't have any problems, right? And the truth is when we get vulnerable, when we uh, are honest about the struggles that we're in, others get to see the power of God working through us. In order for those pain points to become powerful spots in your life, there's a couple things we need to do. We need to allow others to see God at work in us. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 here talks a bit more about his struggle here. He says that he went to the third heaven and he saw visions of God that were so profound that God had to give him a weakness, a thorn in the flesh so he'd stay humble. And he used to be frustrated with his weakness, right? Paul was the top Pharisee. He was the top achiever in uh, the religious culture of Israel. He might have been on his way to being a chief priest, to having a position, a plush position of power. And yet when Jesus encountered, when Paul encountered Jesus, when he got his attention, all that went away. He says, I count it all as rubbish. Doesn't mean anything. My self-promotion, my self-righteousness, my own effort, I throw it all away. It means nothing because I've got to follow Christ. And in following Christ, he began to glory in his weakness. The areas where he didn't have it all together. The areas where he struggled. He began to expose those things. Let people see him. No longer trying to hide it and hide behind a wall of legalism. No. He said, hey, it's okay. Because God began to shine through those areas of weakness. So he said, I glory in him. I glory in my weakness. Sometimes we've got to come to the end of ourselves and allow, God, allow others to see God and work in us by being vulnerable, by being honest, by being transparent. When, uh, when I was 13, my family moved to Utah to be a missionary family to the Mormons. My mom had grown up in that environment, and so my parents felt called to that, and so we went back. And can I tell you, as a 13-year-old going into eighth grade, man, I was ready to be a missionary. I knew that I was going to enter a school full of kids who were Mormons and didn't know Jesus, and I was going to reach them. And so I went in armed with lots of good information. I knew how Joseph Smith was not a true prophet of God because he had made false prophecies. And so I went in, and I met some kids, and I started making friends, and I said, hey, guys, if I could show you how Joseph Smith was a false prophet, right? Would you consider trusting Jesus? And they're like, oh, sure, sure. Um, Well, they didn't mean it, all right? And uh, instead of turning to Christ, they turned on me, right? And I became the object uh, of some, uh, you know, some conflict, right? And so uh, sometimes, you know, I was a foolish little kid and didn't handle it probably with the best attitude and the best way. But the the truth is that eighth and ninth grade were kind of tough. And uh, then we moved and then we moved again and we moved again. And and though I was excited about the moves, junior high and high school were kind of tough for me. And I, uh, I 
collected on my soul and spirit some hurts, some pain, right? Some things that I went through that just weren't fair and weren't right, and they hurt. And uh, like everybody, I tried to blow past them and move on. And then I got to Bible college, and I got right with God. And I surrendered my life to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit started to work through my life, some of those hurts. And I had to go through a process of forgiving some people and asking forgiveness and, and trying to make my, uh, my life right and deal with some of those issues that had clogged up in me. But when we moved to, the, to Sergeant, Nebraska, I was 24 years old, married, had my first child, Mary and I, our oldest kid and uh, our oldest daughter, Jessica. And uh, we, uh, as we got there, Sherry, um, who was the leader of the youth group, said, hey, you should work with the, with the kids in the youth group. And I said, okay. And so I started doing that. And I found, as I began to do that, that I had connection point with these kids who were in junior high and high school because the pain that I had been through, right, the area of my greatest hurt at that time in my life, God began to use that and motivate me to help these kids that were in the youth group in Sargent, Nebraska. And I found that that area of pain became an area where I wanted to help somebody else. If you knew that your area of greatest pain, the greatest hurt that you had gone through in this life, was the exact area where you would be the most powerful to help someone else, how would that change the way you see the hurt? We've got to allow others to see God working in us. The second thing that we need to do as we walk through pain is we need to allow hurts to remind us that our hope is not ultimately in this life. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul speaks of the pain, some of the struggles that he's been through. He says this in verse 16 through 18. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Paul acknowledges that the pain and struggle in this life, though it's difficult and though it hurts, is temporary because he knows and he knew Jesus and he had come into a relationship with him. Maybe you're not able to look at the pain in this life um, as temporary. Maybe it feels for you as though it's all that is. And maybe that's because you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus. See, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you find that life is about much more than here and now. Though here and, here and now matters, it's important. But that's not all there is. This existence is but a blip on the radar compared to all eternity. And it gives us a perspective as we go through life. And the pain that we go through, we can now surrender it to God and say, God, if you want to use me, if you want to do something in me and through me, right in the middle of this point of pain, right in the middle of this spot that hurts so badly, then I can surrender it to you. And I can let you do that. See, Paul wasn't working hard to be effective in his area of weakness. His area of weakness was the area he had to let go. And he had to trust God to use him and to do something through him. That is when we're powerful. When we recognize the perspective that a relationship with God gives us. Well, Naomi returns to uh, 
to Bethlehem with Ruth, her companion. Two women in a culture that was uh, controlled by men. They had no way of providing for themselves financially. They had land that Elimelech would have uh, had as an inheritance. His sons were dead. He was dead. And so a woman could not take over that land and provide. And so they were left with no ability to take care of themselves. Yet as they uh, re-entered the land, it was late spring. It was the time of the barley harvest. And, uh, and they found a place to stay. And Naomi said to Ruth, listen, we have something in our culture where people that don't have a lot, people that are poor, can go find some food. And so the wealthy landowners that are harvesting were allowed to go to their land and glean some of the leftovers that isn't picked up by the harvesters. And so she said, Ruth, go out and find a place to glean some of this barley so we can have some, so we can make some bread. And so, um, and so Ruth said, yeah, absolutely. She got up early in the morning. She head out. And by God's grace, she found her way to a field owned by a wealthy business owner, landowner in Bethlehem named Boaz. Now, as she uh, found herself working in Boaz's fields, as she was picking up the leftovers, um, Boaz noticed her. Now, maybe somebody had tipped Boaz off to the reality there was a new young woman in the community. I don't know. But Boaz noticed her and he said, hey, guys, he spoke to his harvesters, leave some extra grain. Make sure that she gets a lot. And so Ruth found herself very prosperous gleaning in these fields and she was able to get plenty of grain. And Boaz even said, hey, come and eat with us. Uh, we're, you know, we're sitting down for lunch. Uh, the harvesters, come and eat with us. And so he embraced the fact that she was there and Ruth felt very cared for, right? And protected. And so as, as time went on, a relationship began. And ultimately, Boaz asked Ruth to marry him. See, the interesting thing that Naomi alerted Ruth to was something built into uh, Israeli culture. And that was the, uh, the reality that when a woman had lost her husband and when there were no sons to continue the line to take care of the land, to provide for the family, there was a person, an individual, a family member that could act as a redeemer and could step in and take the place, right, of a man in the family and provide and marry the widow and provide a child. And, and bring the land back into Elimelech's family line. And so ultimately, Boaz was one of these individuals. And he took that opportunity. And he, he stepped in as redeemer. And he married Ruth. And Ruth and Boaz had a little son. And, uh, and his name was Obed. And we find these individuals listed in the genealogy found in Matthew. The genealogy that's so important as Matthew lays out for the nation of Israel, a Jewish audience that he wrote to, a genealogy of the Messiah, what we find is that God's sovereign plan for Naomi and for Ruth, through the loss that they experienced, God does something profound. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Rahab was a harlot. She was an outsider. So Solomon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. What if Naomi Elimelech hadn't moved his family to Moab? What if he hadn't passed away? What if her son hadn't married Ruth? What if he hadn't passed away, forcing Naomi and Ruth to come back to Israel. I mean, 
Listen, I want you to know something, that the pain that we go through in life is real and it hurts, but if you're following Jesus, I don't say this as hyperbole, there is a purpose in it. God has a plan. I'm not saying that you'll be listed uh, in, in, the, you know, in the Bible. Obviously, those days are past. But God has a purpose in it. There is reason and meaning in it. Pastor Rick Warren always says, God never wastes a tear. And so we've been through pain, unspeakable pain. We've been wronged. We've been victimized. But we can escape a victim mentality by re- surrendering our hurt and pain to God, by seeking healing, by speaking the truth about it, by seeking support and providing support for others, and then allowing God to do the miracle in us where that point of pain, where that point of hurt becomes a place where God redeems us and reveals himself through that pain to others. As I've said, we have a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. It's simply a discipleship process that walks us through a way of dealing with the deeper issues that we can encounter in life. And we've found as we've encountered, as we've engaged this, that the Holy Spirit has done some incredible things in our church, in the lives of individuals here. And there's healing, there's purpose being found in and through these points of pain. And so I want us to watch a story. Jeff Ross, uh, Jeff and Jill come to church here and have for years, and he shares his story with us. Let's watch as he shares how God has helped bring him through the pain. Hi, I'm Jeff Ross. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. As a freshman in college, I was seeking for meaning and some form of significance. I knew there was more to life than what I had experienced. So when a graduate student at UNL, who was part of a campus ministry called The Navigators, began meeting with me on a weekly basis and then shared the gospel with me, I was ready to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. For the next three years, I was involved in The Navigators Discipleship Program, where I learned how to read the Bible, study the Bible, have daily quiet time, pray, and have Christian fellowship and worship God. As the emptiness inside me began being filled with God's Word, and his promises, as I was in loving fellowship with other believers, I no longer needed alcohol to cope with my fears and shortcomings. After college, I moved back to Scotts Bluff and got involved with the church, helped with Sunday school lessons, and was involved with the young adults Bible study group. I continued to practice what I learned from the Navigators Discipleship Program. Then in 1989, I fell in love with a woman I had met at church. We got married and began a new life together in Colorado Springs. Our three boys were born there and life was busy. I worked many hours while Marcy would raise the boys and it was a struggle to keep life balanced, but we were enjoying life and the friendships we developed there. I continued to spend time in God's word daily, but we were not involved in any fellowship group and rarely attended church. Then in 1999, we moved back to Scotts Bluff for multiple reasons. We opened Cappuccino & Company, a family-owned and operated coffee shop in downtown Scotts Bluff. It was a tough go those first few years trying to establish a new business, raise a family of three active boys, and keep life balanced. We did attend church occasionally, and I continued to have daily quiet times, although stress was getting the better of me. Then in May 2004, Marcy had an aneurysm rupture in her brain. She underwent five unsuccessful surgeries over the course of four weeks. And I was left with the decision to move life support and release her to the waiting arms of Jesus. Well, as you probably can imagine, I was a wreck. 
I lost my wife. I had three young boys to raise, business to run, and I was out of money. During this time, I reverted back to some old habits. I become self-centered as I tried just to survive. My parenting was very inconsistent. The book, The Purpose Driven Life, had just come out a few years prior, so I decided to read it and see what Rick Warren had to say about the meaning and purpose of life. The book helped guide me back on my journey as a Christ follower. I begin living life again with purpose, making relationships more important than things. My boys and I started going to church regularly. They got involved in youth group as I got involved in a small Bible study group. When I turn my focus from self to Jesus, he fills my longings and I don't need those old habits anymore. But God wasn't done refining me yet. At the beginning of 2007, Jill and I met here at Mitchell Berean. We dated through the summer and were married on August 31, 2007. But it wasn't until November that my three boys and I would move into her house with her nine-year-old son and six-year-old daughter and begin joining our new blended family together. That situation lasted only six months when my oldest son was in an automobile accident and, and severed the spinal cord in his neck and now suffers from quadriplegia. So for the next seven months, he and I lived separated from the rest of the family as we went through physical rehab and I learned how to care for him. During this time, the rest of my newly formed blended family suffered greatly. And for the next four years, the seven of us tried to make lemonade from lemons, but all we got was the pits. I knew that it was God's will that Jill and I stay together. So we continued to walk together through the valley. Only God knew that the valley we walked through the previous four years was really just a plateau. God used to prepare us for the real valley that lie ahead. December of 2012, Jill was flight life to Medical Center of the Rockies, where she coded. So they ripped her open and performed exploratory surgery. When I saw her almost a week later, she was on life support, heavily sedated, and I honestly could not recognize her. She was able to go back to work on a part-time basis a few months later, but due to chronic seizures, she finally closed her optometry practice in 2015. After countless tests and doctor's visits and hospital stays, she had no answers for her medical condition. And then in 2018, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and underwent two and a half or one and a half years treatment. God had been faithful and got us through that extended season of critical me medical conditions, but it wasn't without fallout. Family relationships were strained almost to the breaking point. My daily quiet times were the only peace I would have throughout the day. For me, daily devotionals are like meals. I don't remember very many, but I wouldn't be here without them. So how did I get involved in Celebrate Recovery? Well, hurt people hurt people, and I was hurting, and I was causing others to hurt also. I was carrying around a lot of bitterness, resentment. I had a long list of regrets, and I har harbored guilt and shame. Crazy thoughts that I've never had before it didn't seem so crazy anymore. I'd been having daily quiet times for 35 years, going to church regularly, in small group Bible studies, but my life was still out of control, and I felt powerless to change it. I've known about Celebrate Recovery for a long time, 
So at the beginning of 2019, when a friend got back from an alcohol treatment program, I offered to meet him at CR, and he was grateful for the invite since he had already thought about going. He was the incentive I needed to walk through those doors that first time. And the first thing I learned from CR is nobody should be walking the road to recovery alone. God made us for relationships. When you're in a recovery program, you need to identify what you're recovering from. And I wanted to say, a great big mess. But that wasn't on the list, so I said, depression. The breakthrough came, though, after a few months of attending CR. It happened during a worship song when I heard the words, I found redemption on my knees. <sighs> and then I couldn't hear anything else other than the Holy Spirit whisper in my ear, Jeff, you have an issue with your pride. Work on that through the 12 steps. Pride led me to think too highly of myself, trusting my wisdom, my capabilities, and my ways. My pride caused blind spots and allowed me to falsely believe that I could control my circumstances. Working the 12 steps and practicing the eight principles showed me how to control my response to my circumstances and let go and let God control the circumstances. Celebrate Recovery led me to much more than behavior modification. It helped transform my heart. I found healing from the hurts of bitterness, resentment, and regrets. God's way is always higher than my way. I found freedom from guilt and shame. I am a child of the Most High God, bought with the blood of Christ. God gave me Micah 6.8, which says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what is the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I try to do that every day. So now I'm on a mission from God to continue working step number 12, which is having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all of our affairs. And the message I carry to others is this, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So I'll leave you with this. When I was a new believer in Jesus, I got a wall hanging from a poem with a poem written on it. I don't remember where or who it came from, but it turned out to be very prophetic in my walk with Jesus. It's titled, Footprints in the Sand. Last night I had a dream. I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to me, the other to the Lord. At the last scene, my life flashed before me. I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there's only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you mo the most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, My son, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of suffering, when you could see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you 